Today we continue on in our series of Take Every Thought Captive. One of the reasons I want to challenge you to take every thought captive is because God's plan is flawless. That's what I love about that song, Death Was Arrested. It's a great picture of what God's plan was from the beginning. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32 says this, So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. You see, God's plan is that we will be free. We'll be free from the bondage of sin. Free to have a life in Him. Jesus says, His burden is easy and His yoke is light. God's plan from the beginning was our freedom. Here's the catch 22. Because of that freedom, we are free to choose whether or not we want to follow Him. Because of that freedom, Adam and Eve were free to make their own choices as well. And even you and I, because of that freedom, we are free to either live in our sin or we are free to follow God's plan for salvation and restoration. Jesus shared this plan of freedom with everyone he came into contact with. And just in this one chapter, in John chapter 8, if you read through this, you will see that Jesus shared this plan in the temple. He shared it with the woman who was caught in adultery. He shared this plan with the scribes and the Pharisees that brought the woman to him. He shared the plan with the Jews that believed in him, with his disciples, and again with the Pharisees at the end of the chapter. And in verse 59, at the end of chapter 8, the Bible says this, after Jesus shared the plan of freedom. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. You heard that correctly. Jesus shared with them God's plan and they responded by picking up stones to throw at him. I want to ask you right now. I want you to begin considering how you will respond to God's word this morning. If you walk out of here thinking, well, that sure was nice, but it doesn't apply to me. Then you're just like those who picked up stones. Will you pray with me? Father God, we come here this morning because of freedom. We were all free to choose and we chose to come here and worship you this morning. So to that end, I ask, Lord, that whatever we may have brought with us, we will now leave behind as we hear your word. I pray that we will be open to your wisdom, to your will, to your plan for our lives, Father. I'm so grateful for your plan of freedom from sin. I ask once again that what happens right now will bring honor to you. It's in your son's name. Amen. Today we all have a part in this message. You will be presented with the truth of God's word. That's my part. Sharing God's word with you. You'll have an opportunity to respond to God's word later. That's your part. And the Bible tells us that the word of God will not return void or empty. That's God's part. When we continue in his word, reading it, studying it, praying over it, and seeing how we can apply it to our lives when we use the word of God to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, his plan for us will become clear. Jesus says that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's God's plan. And just so you know that his plan is flawless. 
I want to back all the way up to the very beginning, not the Big Bang that some of you might be thinking about, but to creation. His plan for creation was flawless. Yet our world would rather, our culture would rather look to science to explain what God's word has already explained. God's plan for families is flawless. But we think we can improve on God's plan for family by passing laws that legalize abortion and by passing laws that change the way marriage is described in our country. God's plan for families is already flawless. There's no need to try to improve on that. His plan for salvation is flawless. But we think we can improve on God's plan for salvation by stopping short of following the full plan. Just confess your belief or just say this prayer of acceptance. Folks, that's not God's plan for salvation. His plan for salvation is a simple one. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I want to explain something to you. In the Old Testament, when the Israelites were slaves to Pharaoh, the night of the Passover was approaching and God told Moses to tell the Israelite people, the whole nation, over 600,000, this is how you will prepare. This is my plan to lead you out of the bondage of slavery. And it went like this. Listen to what he told him in Exodus chapter 12, starting, I'm starting at verse 3. God said to Moses, speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying on the 10th of this month, they are each one to take a lamb for themselves according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. Now, if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to him, to his house, are to take one according to the number of persons in them, according to what each man should eat. You are to divide the lamb. Verse 5, your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel in the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that same night, roasted with fire. And they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled at all with water, but rather roasted with fire, both its head and its legs, along with its entrails. And you shall not leave any of it over until morning, but whatever is left of it until morning, you shall burn with fire. Verse 11, now you shall eat it in this manner. Pay attention to this. With your loins girded, that means your your outer garments wrapped up and tucked into your belt so you're ready to move quickly. So you're going to eat this meal with your loins girded, with your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. This is contradictory somewhat because in that time you ate by lounging. It was a comfortable thing. It was, it was a fellowship thing. But God says, no, you're going to eat this meal with your loins girded, with sandals on, with your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will go through the land of Egypt on that night and I will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. That's detailed. That's God's plan. That was God's plan to deliver the Israelites from, from slavery. And the same God who delivered the Israelites from captivity with a very precise plan has a very precise plan to deliver you from the slavery of your sin. Just like his plan to deliver the Israelites was flawless, his plan for our salvation is flawless. 
His plan for life is flawless. I want to read you again from the, the passage, or excuse me, the Passion uh, translation of the Bible. And I want to read Psalm 139. And, and this is David talking. And, and it, it just, just listen closely. Verse 1 says, Lord, you know everything there is to know about me. You've examined my innermost being with your loving gaze. You perceive every movement of my, he- of my heart and soul and understand my every thought before it even enters my mind. Think about that in relation to yourself and God. He understands your every thought before it ever enters your mind. It's a scary thought. You are so intimately aware of me, Lord. You read my heart like an open book. And you know all the words I'm about to speak before I even start a sentence. You know every step I will take before my journey even begins. You've gone into my future to prepare the way, and in kindness you follow behind me to spare me from the harm of my past. With your hand of love upon my life, you impart a Father's blessing to me. This is just too wonderful, deep, and incomprehensible. Your understanding of me brings me wonder and strength. Where could I go from your spirit? Where could I run and hide from your great, your face? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the realm of the dead, you're there too. If I fly with wings into the shining dawn, you're there. If I fly into the radiant sunset, you're there waiting. Wherever I go, your hand will guide me. Your strength will empower me. It's impossible to disappear from you or to ask the darkness to hide me for your presence is everywhere bringing light into my night. There's no such thing as darkness with you. The night to you is as bright as the day. There's no difference between the two. You formed my innermost being, shaping my delicate inside and my intricate outside and wove them all together in my mother's womb. David says, I thank you, God, for making me so mysteriously complex. Everything you do is marvelously breathtaking. It simply amazes me to think about it, how thoroughly you know me, Lord. You even formed every bone in my body when you created me in the secret place, carefully, skillfully, shaping me from nothing to something. You saw who you created me to be before I became me. Before I'd ever seen the light of day, the number of days you planned for me were already recorded in your book. Every single moment you are thinking of me How precious and wonderful to consider that you cherish me constantly in your every thought. Oh God, your desires toward me are more than the grains of sand on every shore. When I awake each morning, you're still thinking of me. Oh God, come and slay these bloodthirsty murderous men. For I cry out, depart from me, you wicked ones. See how they blaspheme your sacred name and lift up themselves against you, but all in vain. Lord, can't you see how I despise those who despise you? For I grieve when I see them rise up against you. I have nothing but complete hatred and disgust for them, your enemies. They shall be my enemies. God, I invite your searching gaze into my heart. Examine me through and through. Find out everything that may be hidden within me. Put me to the test and sift through all my anxious cares. See if there's any path of pain I'm walking on and lead me back to your glorious everlasting ways, the path that brings me back to you. David writes to God, proclaiming, you knew me in my mother's womb. 
He wants to live a life where those who are against God, David will stand against. He wants to live a life that honors God. As we know, David had sin in his life. And I bring this up about life. Because what David is crying out to, in, to God in this psalm, he's sharing with us. And what I want you to hear me say today is this. Just like David said, our life, your life before God means you are not an afterthought. You are not an afterthought. I bring that up because we struggle with things in our society today. And I want to remind you that God's plan for your life is flawless. Just like His plan for creation. Just like His plan for salvation. Just like His plan to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. His plan for your life is flawless. That's why I read all that from David. We go through things. Depression. Anxiety. Loneliness. Different medical issues. Turmoil. Fighting amongst ourselves. Whatever it is. And I noticed something in our culture today that those things sometimes bring about thoughts of suicide or giving up. And I want you to know you're created with a purpose. We are not meant to take our own life. God's plan for your life is flawless. You may be thinking, well, he hasn't quite revealed it to me yet. It's okay. He still has a flawless plan for you. And I want you to know if you're struggling with, with any of these things, depression, anxiety, if you're struggling with these things that, that may lead to suicide, you are not struggling alone. Now, you may think, well, you don't know what you're talking about, Fat Rock. Real quick, look to your left. Look. Now, look to your, you probably looked at the back of somebody's head. Look to your right. Look all around this room. Everybody in this room is struggling with something right now this morning. I won't name names. I won't point fingers. But you know who you are. I know who you are. God knows who you are. We're all struggling with something. You're not struggling alone. You have a church family here. You have elders and staff that will pray with you, that will help you along this season in your life. And you're wondering, why are you bringing all this up? Well, other than the fact that I want you to take captive the thought that God's plan for your life is flawless. And you need to also understand that the outline of this sermon was written back last year in the summertime. But the things that come to be sometimes as I'm preparing to preach a message like this just astound me. And I bring this up, and one reason I bring this up is a gentleman named Ron Gagné. Some of you may know Ron. Um, what you may or may not know is that Ron passed away this last week. Um, he battled breast cancer. He had a mastectomy. He was going through chemo. He was going through treatments. Uh, and he, he also was a type 2 diabetic. He had some neuropathy in his leg, and his, his, uh, one of his legs got a sore on it. It became somewhat gangrene, so he went to the hospital. And you're thinking, well, now you're just grossing me out. We have to have lunch. But what I want you to know about this is Ron was a bit of a loner. He didn't do a lot of stuff with a lot of people. But Ron picked up, and some of you may remember this, a few years ago, or about a year ago, I have no concept of time, a while back, Andy and I preached a sermon, and we challenged you all. And out in the foyer were little challenge cards in different colored envelopes. And some of you picked those cards up and they had different acts on them. One of them uh, that someone picked up was uh, change the message on the sign for a while. And we worked that guy out of a job. I don't know if you noticed our new sign uh, as you came in this morning. But <laughs> and, and he's grateful for it. <laughs> but Ron got a, got a card and it simply said, pray for the leaders in our church. And he came to me one Sunday. He said, hey, 
I got this card, and it just says to pray for you, but I want to meet with you on a regular basis. I just want to pray with you face to face. I don't want to just pray for you, but I want to pray with you. And so on any Sunday that Ron was here, I said, you just grab me. And some Sundays he would, he would grab a hold of me. Sometimes it was before service, and we'd go to the library or to my office, wherever we happened to be, and he would pray. Or we would go after service. He would say, hey, is it too late for me to pray for you? I said, never. Never too late. And in that, and I'd like to say that as your, as, as, as your, your, minister, as your minister, as the great spiritual leader that I am, that I would love to say that I instituted all of that. That I went to Ron and said, Ron, let me pray for you, brother. But on the, on the other side of it, I had a man who's recovering from cancer, fighting that battle still, even though they removed some of it, who came to me every time he was at church and said, hey, let me pray for you. I thought, you know, that's, that's God's plan. Ron, when he was in the hospital, Andy and I went to visit with him. And he said, you know, I would never take my own life. But I promise you this, I would not be disappointed if God called me home. He said, the pain that I've been going through these last few months. And he said, I just keep thinking maybe there's still something for me to do at Huntsville Christian Church. And I said, you still praying for me, Ron? He said, yeah. I said, well, good. <laughs> that must be it. <laughs> and, and then he passed away. Um, don't normally do this, but Wednesday around 2 o'clock, we'll be having a memorial service for Ron here at the church if you're able to stop by. Uh, he didn't have a lot of family. Um, he, he really didn't have any family. He had two nieces, and we still haven't been able to really get in good contact with them. And so... Ron was someone who knew, even with cancer, God had a plan for his life. Even laying in his hospital bed, he said, I, I feel like there's still something I should be doing, not for himself. He wasn't, my bucket list says I have to travel the world, I have to have a cruise to go on. He said, there's still something I feel like I should be doing for Huntsville Christian Church. See, God has a plan for your life, even up to the very end. The next reason I want to bring up this depression and anxiety and, and these things that lead to suicide and, and to remind you that your life is not your own and, and not to take it from God is, is I started looking into this and suicide is the second leading cause of death for people ages 10 to 24. More teenagers and young adults die from suicide than from cancer, heart disease, AIDS, birth defects, stroke, pneumonia, influenza, and chronic lung disease combined. Each day in our nation, there is an average of over 5,240 attempts on their own life by young people grades 7 through 12. Four out of five teens who attempt suicide have given clear warning signs. Some of you woke up this morning wondering if it was even worth it to get out of bed. And some of the people that I've just talked about are sitting right next to you right now and you don't even know their middle name. You don't know their favorite color. You got a 50-50 shot as to what their favorite football team is, unfortunately. But logic says that if you don't know those things about the people in this room with you, that you, are, you definitely won't know what they're really struggling with. You see, part of God's plan, His flawless plan, is that we live life together. Why do you think in the early church we read about in Acts, it says that they met daily with one another? Folks, we can't live life together if we don't connect with one another. 
And if we don't connect with one another, we're separating ourselves from the flock. And that's when Satan comes in and he begins to steal our freedom. God's plan for your life is flawless. We are meant to have life. We are meant to have life to the abundance. And we are meant to live life together. But in order to do that, we have to go deep. We, we have to get past the morning, Fred, morning, Sam, routine of life on Sunday mornings. You guys remember that? Yeah. The sheepdog and the coyote, they're checking in. Morning, Sam. Morning, Fred. That's what they knew. They knew they were enemies. He was the coyote. He was the sheepdog. They fought. It was good, clean fun when you were a kid. The Looney Tunes. Great messages there. Maybe not. <laughs> Except we need to get past that. When you walk in this building, it should be more than just, Morning, Fred. Morning, Sam. It should be more than that. Surface level conversations make the devil happy. Jesus told Peter to go into the deep waters to catch fish. You remember that story? In Luke chapter 5 is my paraphrase. All right, so you, but you can go back and read it yourself. Peter is, is kneeling in the water. He's washing his nets. He's unaware of the crowd of people closing in on Jesus. He, along with James and John, they, they just continue this task of rinsing off the grime from the Galilean Sea from their empty nets. The night of fishing had been long and fruitless. They didn't have a single fish to show for their efforts. And suddenly Peter heard his name. Simon, may I use your ship? I, I don't know if Jesus called it a ship or not, but he asked to get in the boat. And willing to assist Jesus, Peter left his net that he was washing out and he resumed his seat at the fishing boat, nudges it away from the shore and he listens to Jesus' voice as it's now projected across the Galilean Sea to the multitude on the bank. And then Jesus finishes the message to the people on the bank, and he turns once again to Peter. And his request this time was astounding. He says to Peter in Luke chapter 5, verse 4, and this is the King James Version, launch, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a drought. Drought of fish. Why launch out into the deep? It was well-known fact that in the Sea of Galilee, fishermen caught fish at night in the shallow water, not in the middle of the day, in the deep water. Peter had a choice. He could obey Jesus and, and launch out, or he could follow his senses and decline. Peter didn't know it, but his choice in that moment would be the pivotal point for the rest of his life. Peter's decision and the resulting miracle revealed that a single act of obedience to Christ's command, can change the course of our entire life. When Peter chose to place his faith in the powerful Word of God, when Peter chose to trust the plan, that God's plan was flawless, his life would never be the same again. You and I likewise have an opportunity to experience the power of God. We serve the same Jesus who spoke to Peter 2,000 years ago and said, put out into the deep. We have access to his written, whoops, his written Word, and we have the promises of His faithfulness to back us. We have the promise that if we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, He will never leave us or forsake us. So why then do we experience a lack of fruit in ministry? Why could we echo Peter's comment? By the way, Peter said to him, Master, we have toiled all night. It means by our own methods, with our own means, with all of our own knowledge, we have worked hard and we have taken nothing. You see, lack of resources is not our problem. We have the boat. In case you're wondering, you're in it right now. 
We have the nets. In case you're wondering, you're the nets. There's no shortage of souls that need Christ. The sea is, the sea is wide open and ready. But some of us, we'd rather sit on the dock attempting to catch fish in the shallow waters before anything great will be accomplished for Christ. We have to make a decision to launch out at His command. Like Peter, our response to God's Word will either invite His blessing and power or it will hinder it. Great things will happen only as we launch forward in our service to Christ. Without that, our lives and ministries will become spiritually stagnant. Like Peter's disappointing night of fishing, our attempts to serve the Lord in our own strengths will yield empty nets every time. But as we obey Christ's commands, we will experience things in our lives made possible only by the hand of God. Are you ready to launch out? Are you ready to get out of the shallows? I think that sometimes our greatest obstacles in seeing the power of God is our own apathy. We generally do what we want to do. And most of us don't want to leave our comfort zone. We live in an accommodating culture. We're willing to dabble in service for the Lord. We may even wait out a bit further than the Christian next to us. But we insist on staying near the shore. I got to tell you, it's one thing to receive Jesus as your Savior. It's another thing to wholeheartedly follow Him as a disciple. Moving into deep waters requires full commitment. It means you weigh anchor and set your sails to catch the wind. It means you leave the shallows behind, fully surrendered to the direction of the captain. You see, what happens in the shallow waters, in the murky shallow waters of Christianity, we lose focus. We forget the very purpose of ministry is to preach the gospel. But in those shallows where we're busy, we generate an array of programs where we don't catch fish. Our ministries become more about service than reaching lost men and women with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it it seems that we are more content with status quo. Some will sit on the dock and look out over the water, offering only complaints when our nation turns from God. I think we can lament the state of our nation and the multitudes of lost people around us, or we can roll up our sleeves and hoist the sails and get busy and trust that God's plan is flawless. And we can launch this boat out into the deep. You see, when Christ saw a need, he acted. He was willing not only to come to earth, but also to interact with sinful, flawed humanity. John 1.14 says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Peter didn't have a nice brand new boat. It wasn't freshly cleaned for Jesus to get into. It was, truth be told, it was probably slimy and smelly. Peter himself had been working with fishing equipment all night. He was probably slimy and smelly. But Jesus cared about people more than he cared about comfort. His ministry didn't target the upper class, those who could cause him the least discomfort. He reached out to the needy. God in the flesh entered into the environment of a common fisherman. Folks, no real ministry will take place in your life or mine until we are willing to cross the threshold of humility. We must obey the instructions of Philippians 2, 3. Let this, be, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You see, when that is happening with your life, then you know that you're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Some of the greatest opportunities for ministry often are, humanly speaking, the most distasteful. Serving in the inner cities, seeking out wounded souls, working in other countries where there's not clean water, 
Ministering to shattered lives isn't always easy or comfortable, but it's fruitful. James 4.10 says to us, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up. Jesus humbled Himself to our lowest state so every person might have an opportunity to be saved. May gratitude for His unspeakable gifts compel us to set aside human reasoning and like Christ, serve with humility. You, you know what's interesting to me is initially Peter responded to Jesus' command like you and I would have done. He, he started out using logic. Jesus said, Peter, put out into the deep and let out your nets. And, and Peter says, first off, a little bit of logic. Master, we have toiled all night and we have taken nothing. We haven't caught anything. I can imagine thought, Peter's thoughts beyond those words. Hey, Jesus, you keep the carpentry, I'll keep the fishing and we'll call it a day. He didn't say that. He maybe didn't even think that. Maybe that's just me and what I would have thought. But Peter had already worked hard all night. He knew his work. He was a master fisherman. He wasn't somebody who didn't know how to, how to run the water, so to speak. And what Jesus had just asked Peter to do was contrary to all of Peter's training and all of his experience as a fisherman. But even so, Peter made a watershed decision that day. And he said to, God, he said to Jesus, Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. There's a pattern I see repeated throughout Scripture. God doesn't often intervene until the task is humanly impossible. God loves impossible odds. Remember Gideon, Judges chapter 7, verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give Midian into their hands, for Israel will become boastful, saying, My own power has delivered me. And he brought that army down from thousands to three hundred. Gideon experienced the truth that faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. George Mueller said it well. He said, there's no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. Would you like to launch out? Is it time to recognize that what Jesus calls us to do, whether it is connecting with one another on a deeper level, or witnessing, giving, serving, forgiving, or maybe just emptying yourself, it's usually in, in exact opposition to what human reasoning would be. God's plan for discipleship is not a life of logic or reasoning. It's a life of faith. And when we are willing to follow Christ into deep, unfamiliar waters, we will have closer fellowship with Him. And we will have a deeper connection with one another. This comes simply out of the complete reliance upon Him to meet our every need, to guide us along our way. I think that when the only answer to a problem is dependence on God, we tend to listen a little bit more closely and spend more time with Him. I think it's time we launch out of our comfortable, shallow waters and begin connecting deeper with one another and begin looking for opportunities to start sharing the gospel with others. Launch out into the deep waters. Begin giving of our time and our resources. Humbling ourselves to serve others, to love them like Christ loves us. Our growth becomes deeper than that of a Christian who just insists on sitting on the dock, fishing in the shallows. Out in the deep water, we learn some things. We learn how to trust in the deep water. We learn how to pray in the deep water. Those who launch out quickly learn that God accomplishes great things with a life that is wholly lived by faith. Hebrews eleven six says, Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. The Lord knows your limitations. Don't let that stop you. He already knows your limitations. Moses, he knows your limitations. 
He knows your shortcomings, David. He knows the mistakes you're going to make. Don't let that stop you. He knew Peter's fatigue in the boat that night, that day. He knew Peter's doubt. He knew his needs. And John 2, 23 through 25 tells us, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs, which he was doing. But Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. Brothers and sisters, before we try to argue with Christ about what God's plan is in our life, try trusting Him. He already knows you. He is the omniscient God. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And simply put, it's time to trust God's flawless plan. It's time to live out Christ's command. The phrase in this passage that grabs me every time I read it is Peter's statement. He says, he, he, he tries logic and he tries reasoning and then he says, I will do as you say. I will do as you say, Lord. Peter knew every reason, and they were good ones, not to obey Jesus. He knew the physical laws of fishing. But under the direct command of Jesus Christ, Peter turned from his logic, and he staked everything on Jesus' word. Peter's obedience to Christ, it wasn't the reckless abandon that our culture praises. It wasn't the result of throwing logic to the wind and following his own inner dreams. Peter's decision to launch out was purely out of obedience to Christ. It was trusting in God's plan. It was the result of a man who had unmistakably heard Christ's command and calculated that God's power and God's flawless plan was greater than his own individual limitations. How do we develop this level of faith? How do we know when and where to launch out? Romans ten seventeen tells us, So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Do you hear God's word? Do you read God's word, do you study it? Do you memorize it? Do you listen to it as it's preached? Do you pray over it? Do you allow God's word to take your thoughts captive? A casual observer might conclude that ministry in the 21st century has advanced beyond the word of God. Personally, I think we give too much attention, too much of our attention to social media, what people may think or say, critics. We give too much, uh, too much of our attention to internet to talk shows, to popular opinion, to best-selling books that we sometimes neglect, the only source we really need, which is the Word of God. In some other versions of the Bible, Peter says to Jesus, at thy word. It was the stake on which Peter hung his decision to launch out on Jesus' word. Like Peter, we must come to a place where we believe and put into practice the knowledge that our God can do anything but fail. This knowledge will enable us to stay the course no matter the circumstances or the distractions that begin to swirl around us. Peter wasn't even sure what would happen next, but I believe that he was prepared for a miracle. When Peter launched out, he didn't leave his half-washed nets on the shore. He let them down for a drought. Launching out into the deep was only the first half of Jesus' command. Letting down the nets was just important. If he had never let down the nets, he would have never known the catch that he would receive. See, we can go through the motions of obedience to God's plan, but if we don't believe that He is the rewarder of those that seek Him, like Hebrews eleven six, that's all we're doing is going through the, emotion, through the motions. Even after the initial launch into deeper water, our faith may falter. You see, Satan has two primary tactics for, ner- for neutralizing our obedience to Christ, a discouragement and fear. If he can snag us by either one of those methods, we forsake faith. We return to human reasoning. We forget God's flawless plan. 
Christians who set out for the deep but then lose their forward momentum for Christ become confused in their walk with God. We don't realize it, but our navigation system is programmed to work by faith. Our Christian navigation system is programmed to work by faith. It freezes sometimes when we're consulted by fear, though. And in times when this happens, we do well to remember the words of Jesus in Mark 5.36 to a troubled father where he said, Do not be afraid, only believe. See, it's not about the nets. It's not about the need for more boats. If you didn't already know this story, you might guess that when Peter saw the great multitude of fishes in his net, he would, he would let out a shout and eagerly start to calculate his new wealth. But on the contrary, Peter's response was startling. Instead of thinking about all the great things he had coming into his boat, the, the Bible says he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished. Peter was overwhelmed that God would use him. Warren Wearsby says of this moment in Peter's life, Peter was humbled, not by his night of failure, but by his astounding success. This is a mark of real character. If success humbles you, then failure will build you up. As Peter bowed in the presence of Jesus, the Lord brought it all together for Peter. He said, do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. And verse 11 says, when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Walked away from the biggest fish story out there. And in that moment, something clicked in Peter's mind. If he was unsure about his life purpose before, he wasn't now. No longer would he focus on business expansion or, or pricing new boats or scouting out for some new partners. From this moment forward, he would be a fisher of men. On behalf of Christ himself, Peter would call people to their Savior. Trusting that God's plan is flawless. This is why we launch out. It's not for our glory or to fulfill our quest for adventure. We launch out to catch men, to connect hearts with the invitation of Christ. We launch out to preach the gospel, to tell the broken, the shattered people that there is salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. Launching out isn't about expanding our reputation or filling our ego. It's about deeper connections with one another in this building and in our community. Launching out is the decision to live fully for the glory of God by leading lost souls to Christ and by trusting God's flawless plan. As we come to our response time this morning, I only have one question for you. Will you catch men? Many Christians are eager to launch in new things, a new business, uh, further up their career maybe, a new hobby, a new relationship, but few are surrendered to launch out in response to Jesus' command to follow me and I will make you fishers of men from Matthew 4.19. Many Christians see the spiritual needs surrounding them, yet few have the faith to take action. Brothers and sisters, we have an all-access pass to God's Word. We have an all-access opportunity to understand His will and from time to time, the scent will sense the Holy Spirit's prompting. But not many of us will launch out at His Word. Jesus is still calling His disciples to launch out, to let down their nets for a draft. It's still possible to be a part of a great, to be part of a great work of God. And it's plausible that the Holy Spirit could bring revival to our spiritually darkened nation. It's still God's plan to use you in the salvation of others. But you can only be a fisher of men if you follow Christ with unrestrained obedience. 
If you'll pull up your anchor and untie your rope from the dock, would you like to catch a net full of fish? Do you wonder how God might bless your obedience? The moment you begin to take every thought captive and launch out at His Word, when you truly come to a place of realizing that God's plan is flawless and you commit to living your life that way, the deeper connections and the possibilities become as endless as the horizon. Are you ready to launch out? Are you ready to launch out at Christ's command, brothers and sisters? Because it's time that we go deep. It's time that we start connecting in here so that we can connect out there. It's time to get past the surface of the water. Will you think on that as we stand and sing our response time this morning? And whatever that looks like for you, will you respond to God's flawless plan accordingly? It's been great to be here with you all this morning, to worship with you, to share with you, to challenge you, hopefully, from God's Word. Um, But now it's time to go. As you go today, go knowing that God has a plan for you. Take that thought captive, because His plan is flawless. Have a great week. Will you sing the rest of this song with us?